The OAM Network is an independently run podcast and live production company in Memphis, Tennessee. TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. Welcome to The Permanent Record. I'm Josh Spickler, Executive Director of Just City. We're a nonprofit criminal justice reform organization in Memphis, Tennessee, and The Permanent Record is our podcast about that criminal justice system and how we can work together to make it work better for everyone. Women make up a growing percentage of the two million people currently in America's jails and prisons, and the implications of that trend are very troubling. They have an especially devastating impact on communities of color, which are already reeling from generations of mass incarceration among men. Our guest today has devoted the last 28 years of her life to help women in our community get home with the tools and resources they need so they don't go back to prison. Pat Culp founded and directs WEBS, Women Empowered to Become Self-Sufficient. We invited her in to discuss what inspires her, what motivates her to keep going, and how prison is different for women versus men. Miss Pat, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I want to talk uh, to you some about, obviously, about your work at, at Webs. And uh, but first, I want I want folks to understand how you got involved and how long you've been involved inside prisons. Tell us about uh, about that, about how you began to do this work. Actually, my beginning started because my son was incarcerated, and visiting him. And being a Sunday school teacher, I saw some things that needed to be done for incarcerated individuals. So I called together a group of friends who had like interest, and we came up with the ministry. Initially, we called it Circle of Love. And we went from Circle of Love to PFM Trailblazers, and the Trailblazers turned into webs. <laughs> The reason for it was Circle of Love was strictly our initial intention was to deter juveniles from crime so that they would not end up in an adult facility. And then we got trained by Prison Fellowship. So PFM stands for Prison Fellowship Ministries. Right, right. And our, our motto was we trail the we trailed the blade, uh, uh, we blazed the trail that Jesus paved. And uh, we were introduced to an organization called Christian Women Job Corps. And their uh, main focus was mentoring. And they were working with groups of women. They set up um, block parties and worked with women who needed more skills to get in the workforce. So they can, they asked if we would join, but we only agreed to join if we could work in the prison because by now the prison population has changed in Memphis and it's a women's facility and it's rapidly growing. Yeah, I want to talk about that because uh, I think that's a really, really important point. But I want to back up uh, real quick first to something that you said uh, at the very beginning and, and that was that you visited uh, a, a detention facility to see your son, and there were some things that you saw 
uh, that that caused you to want to be more involved. What did you see? This was, I guess, back in the in the nineteen nineties or maybe late nineteen eighties. What did you see that one that caused you to want to do something? A juvenile facility had no um, nonprofit or Bible based ministries going in except the Lutheran Church, and I'm not Lutheran. <laughs> and I just felt like if you could. If we could minister to these young men, we could possibly keep some of them out of the big system, and they would not, you know, the juvenile always um, prided itself on the fact that they got young men in and out in two weeks' time, and then if they needed to go to a facility, they do that. But when you went to the facility, the language that the counselors used and the way they treated them, it was not conducive in my mind that it would encourage them to do better. In fact, it was just in line with the way they were behaving. That was my perception. Yeah. What? What? Uh, so, so, what type of language? I mean, we talk at Just City about about a more humane criminal justice system. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Humanity and dignity. Um, I'm talking about profanity and I guess the way you uh, speak to someone when they've made a mistake, it wasn't constructive criticism, but it was always the put down. Right. And it right. was very disturbing to me. And in addition to there was not a lot of participation in those juvenile facilities from parents and or Church groups are just the whole gamma of churches. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you've seen change? So, so we're talking about a, a time period here of, of you know twenty plus years, and is is it something that you? I have. Yeah, what's changed in those twenty years about about? Well, one of the, one of the things that have changed that is popped up in my mind when you asked that question was when I first started prison ministry. The bulk of the volunteers were retirees. I'm talking 60-plus people who have now retired from their jobs and they're finding something to do. Today, the volunteers uh, go from 70 years old down to 18 years old if they can get in. Um, And that's the one thing that I've seen change. The other thing I've seen change, to be honest, is there have been more African-American ministries or uh, organizations coming into the prison than it was when I started. Um, in fact, I was the only, the second team that Prison Fellowship trained to go in on its own that was uh, African-American. So hmm. that much I've seen. So we've, uh, I, I won't quote his name, but the guy that trained me encouraged me to start my own group because He said, they're picked up by uh, European officers. They go before a European judge, and then they have a European coming in talking about their Jesus. Why would they believe anything we say? (laughs) So we worked with him for a while, we being some of the friends that I have called up, and uh, he just kept encouraging me, you should organize your own group, you should organize your own group, which we eventually did. Yeah, yeah. And and that group, 
is is focused today on on women. And and when we were doing some research for this uh, for the podcast, uh, what we found is that according to the 2018 data, Tennessee was fifth had the fifth highest incarceration rate for women in this in this country, and that's uh, that adds up to something like 2,000 women uh, being added to our prison population in Tennessee in the last 12 years. Um, I guess you've seen that firsthand. Ha- has, is that yes. it? When I first, when I first started, uh, Tennessee had one state penitentiary for women. It was in Nashville. Uh, I think there's five, five or six now. And there's wow. one in, in Henning, Tennessee. Right. Um, there's GPW. And there's another one uh, in Chattanooga. It's more of a preparation for relief facility. There's another one in a somewhere in Tennessee that I can't ever remember the <laughs> name of, but it's right. out in the country somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's four, four to six women facilities when they put the women in um, West Tennessee. I was told, I did not verify this information, that there was over 1,400 women waiting for a state bid. Wow. What do you, so you work with women very closely, I, I, I know. And so what do you, what is your take on that? What is your opinion on why we've had such a, an alarming rate of growth for women in our prisons in Tennessee? And women are becoming more uh, bolder now. Normally, when I got started, women didn't commit crimes unless they were in groups. Now mm. they're doing individual things. And one of the driving forces, and there was an article I read years ago by nurses, is women who have been in abuse generally come out and end up on some kind of drug. And then that drug need drives them to crime. Mm. So a lot of it is um, drug-related. Some of it is domestic violence reaction. That's what I call it. It's like I've been in this abusive relationship for a long time. I'm tired of it. My mom always said to me, a a scared blow is a death blow. Hmm. And we have lots of women coming in uh, because they've injured their significant other, whether that be a spouse or a boyfriend or whatever or taking the charges for a spouse or boyfriend who would have three strikes. Wow. Mm-hmm. So there, yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what do you think, though, is, what's the impact? I mean, um, you, you've you worked, it sounds like, mostly in Shelby County and Memphis, and I'd love to hear what you think about the impact that having that many more women incarcerated has had on the communities from which these women come. Uh, what does it mean to our, uh, to our town, to Memphis, when we... Uh, are locking women up at a, at a more uh, at an increasing rate. It means that we're going to have more children unnurtured and possibly go angry and going down the same path or a different path of crime than their mothers because the mothers are not there to nurture them or direct them in their life. And most of these women coming in, they're young women. And they haven't had a lot of direction, which was very surprising to me because I just thought everybody's mama was like my mama. (laughs) (laughs) I found out that I'm like, there's no way I could have been on the street at 14 years old. If I had been, it would have been because I was dead because my mom would not allow that, you know, but 
Uh, many of them have been abused, so abusers become abusers. Abused people become abusers, and uh, many of them low self-esteem. So what do we do? When you take the mom out of the house and you give the children to the grandmother, she's kind of mellowed because she's already raised her set of children <laughs> and she's tired. And so you have children who are very rebellious, and then the children have so much more, um, ex um, not experiences, but um, what word am I looking for? Are you looking Distraction. for... Go ahead. Yeah, trauma maybe too, right? They do. They go through trauma, but they also are exposed to so much more than we were as children. You know, Got we were it. in the blade and rolled in the dirt, but <laughs> children never see all kinds of crime on TV. And uh, some of them think they're smart enough to beat what they see. Oh, I, I would have done this. And so here we have these rebellious children. I have a young lady who's out right now, and her she has three boys, and her oldest is doing good, and her youngest is okay, but that middle boy is upset, and he's angry. He's really angry, mm -hmm. so he's acting out. Yeah. And so many of the things you're talking about with families and with the women that you work with themselves are, you know, these are, you know, issues of addiction and issues of, of mental health and, and not mental health in, in the way of illness, but just in the way that we deal with other human beings. And so, exactly. I, and you've, you've, you've hinted at this, but I want to talk now about some about, you know, what WEBS is doing, what, uh, what WEBS stands for, tell us that, and then tell us how you, how you go in and meet women where they are in the prison and what you try to give them and, and how you try to, to be there for them and, and what, what difference can that make? Well, first of all, WEBS stands for Women Empowered to Become Self-Sufficient. So our, our main goal is to give women a hand up and not a hand down. Mm -hmm. So many of the women who come into prison, and I, this is, blows me away as well, have not completed high school. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason for that in this day and age. But uh, they dropped out of school. So what I did was several, oh, I say 10, 10 years or more ago, I was at a mission fair and I met a young lady and, I, and she did um, training for corporate Memphis or corporate anywhere. Anyway, I got her to write a specific program just for incarcerated women. And we talked about what I saw that they needed. Um, so we've gone through several things. Christian Women Job Corps, which is the Southern Baptist Association organization, focuses on mentoring. So we go in and we uh, do one-on-one mentoring. We go in with our program that was customized for us called Journey to Success. And Journey to Success has three stages. The first is all about life skills, job skills, and how to handle uh, conflict. Uh, and it's about six months long. And so the women literally have to interview to get in this program because we did have a grant to do it at one point. We don't now, but we did. And we paid somebody to go in and spend three hours with these ladies, helping them learn how to build their vocabulary, helping them learn how to interview, 
helping them learn how to write resumes, how, what to do in conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. And now we do it for, I have teachers who do it free, but that's our main program. And then the second stage is to help them with the basic computer skills. And the third stage is financial peace that teaches them how to budget right. and be prepared. At one given time, we had a cake decorating class here in Memphis. And that was giving them a skill that they could actually market when they got out of prison. Right. I'd love right. to see that again, but my teacher moved to Texas. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> <But> <laughs> well, I, I have an 11-year-old who's not bad at decorating cakes. Maybe uh, maybe we can get him uh, get him out there someday. Um, exactly, exactly. And I think that's our main goal is to help them identify what their skill level is, if they even know. Many of them haven't even worked. They've been on drugs since they were early teenagers. And I'm like, you know, that's hard for me. But the way that I got them, I started off and I started a Bible study class and I taught one student for a year. Hmm. I went every Wednesday, just myself and that one student. One-on-one. Word of mouth got out, and the next year I had eight students, and word of mouth got out, and the next year I had over 40 students. I had to split the class up with another young lady because that's just too many people. My personal goal is I need to see everybody I'm speaking to because your body speaks up before your mouth will open. Hmm. Right. And so I try not to jam my classes up. But since then, we have we provide for them Bible study, the Journey to Success program, uh, domestic balance awareness classes, toxic relationship classes, and healing from the inside out. Uh, and those classes were all going on up into the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I've been doing this for 28 years, and honestly, I started in the men's prison. Right, um, right. Of course, we do our major Christmas activities that uh, called Winter Wonderland, where every woman who has been on good behavior gets to participate in that gift for her family and then uh, get to go to the food court. And all of that's done by donation. Yeah. Um, and, and the family gets no to field. attend, correct? Yes. Yeah. So on the sixth day of the act, for five days, the women get to shop because there's so many of them. And on the <laughs> sixth day, that Saturday, those families that can attend are welcome to attend. And we do cut on breakfast and lunch for them. Yeah. And we tear everything down and start all over for the next year. <laughs> right. Well, I want to I want to talk so, about that again again at the end because I think that's a way that maybe people can get involved. But we'll talk about that. One thing that you okay. you know you've you've talked about individuals you know, specific women that you've mentored, that you've worked with. I wonder if you can share a story with us about how, how all this looks from from one person's perspective, a, a woman that you maybe met and and now is, is in a very different place in her life. And if you can tell us kind of a little bit about, about that and how, you, how that looked. Actually, in 2020, I have about four ladies who are in a very different place. My biggest challenge was, uh, are we calling names? <laughs> it, it, you know, it's up to you. I mean, privacy is important. You can change names or you can just refer to to them as, as uh, people that you've worked with. Well, I think you're familiar with Nora Jackson. Yes, ma'am. And she, she was my biggest challenge as a, a mentee. Uh-oh. <laughs> because somebody came to me and said, 
she didn't trust anybody. And I really think you can help her. Hmm. And we uh, played dodgeball or whatever for a good while before she would actually, but I stayed on her. I was very persistent in uh, pursuing after her to come and talk with me. And eventually she um, found confidence and all the way through until she was released. She was my mentee and Mm -hmm. doing our activities. She was always there to assist in any way she can. And as a matter of fact, she's now out and she's doing well and she is still assisting me. And if we could get her back in the prison, we would because she has experienced what it's like to be there and be by yourself and have everybody turned away from you. But yet um, she has been able to excel and do well and she's out and going to school and I am very proud of the progress that she's made under all of the circumstances right. that she's had to uh, face. So that's one of my specific stories. Um, but I have a lady in Michigan, and she got out long before I met Nora, and she's doing well. And I see her out on Facebook. <laughs> and just in the last year and a half, we've had three women from our program to be released. Uh, coincidentally, they are all working for the same company, but and it was a company that joined us in our act, uh, Christmas activity. They're working for the same company, even though they don't work in the same department. They're all doing well. Two of them are now uh, renting their own places, and they have been blessed enough throughout this pandemic to not get laid off. So wow, yeah. I have lots of, it took us 28 years, uh, nerves been out about three years, maybe going on four. She was our first real success of going through our program. But in 28 years, that's about it. You oh, know, wow. It's like, God, it's been a long time coming. But that's... we finally, see, because a lot of the women we work with don't come to Shelby County. Yeah. Yeah. So well, uh, that's, that's the... one of the reasons we're, uh, part of the Christian Women Job Corps organization because we have 28 sites throughout the state of yeah. Tennessee so we can get them some help in other areas once they're released. Yeah, that's really hard work. I think those those small numbers attest to the fact that this is really, really difficult work. And also it, just it just is. just would note that Nora introduced you and me. So she she is still yeah. working for you and and, and putting you in she touch does. with folks. And, and, and uh, um, uh, even though, you know, she's moved out of the city when mm-hmm. it's time to do our Christmas activities, she is right here. That's and great. Like I'll do this. I'll do this. You don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> That's know? great. So they really appreciate it. I, I uh, hope that we're going to be able to do something special for them this year with this pandemic. But yeah, we're working on it. We're sure. On it. <laughs> I want to ask you maybe maybe one more one more question, and then we'll, we'll we'll move into a closing section. And and I wonder, you know, it is frustrating, and you have a very uh, hard job ahead of you, and and you've had some success. But I wonder what are a few things. Uh, and I'm not asking you to be, you know, critical of specific things at any of the facilities where you've worked. But what are some things that we could do as a community, as a society, about uh, about our prisons and and the people in them that would you think result in more stories like the ones that you just shared with us? What are some of the policies, and what do we, how do we need to be doing prison differently? 
There, uh, I don't know if we need to be doing the women's prison once they move to ten- West Tennessee has more opportunities for them. There are, there is the culinary class now, and there is the computer class now. But those are the kinds of things. What if I was able to speak to the entire world? I would say, what do you need? to be successful in this society. You would ask them themselves. And and then if that's what you know you would need, then we need to make sure our institutions have those kinds of services for these people because these people are not going to be incarcerated forever. And they could live next door to you depending on what their charges are. And many people who have come in with us because of our Christmas activity have gone eye-openers because I guess they expected to meet monsters and what they met was the girl next door. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think that's a, mm-hmm. good, that's a good word and it's one that comes up on this podcast a lot is that, um, you know, people are people and sometimes we do uh, horrible things to each other and we have to be held accountable for that but at the at the end of it we're all we're all people and and you're right most people come home from prison so let's let's talk a little bit more detail i mean the holidays will be here before we know it it's already september and they'll be different this year because of the pandemic but i hope that you all still get to do winter wonderland and if if you can't do it like normal i'm sure you'll have to figure out some way to do it uh in the new in the new normal after the pandemic what what can people do or do you expect people to be able to do to support the Winter Wonderland event this coming holiday? Well, the one, um, we don't know that we're going to be able to do it as usual, but what we are planning to do, if not, is give um, care packages to all of the women and possibly um, we have some inventory, but if we had more inventory for teenage children and girls and boys, uh, we could possibly send gifts to their families. The problem is with the pandemic and even before that, the postage. Postage can run very, very high for giving, uh, shipping gifts. So we may, you know, we're still tossing that around and the institution is tough because we don't want anybody to be disappointed. Right. But we do know that what we're going to do is do snack packages for all of the women incarcerated. And we would love to have donations of cookies or crack, you know, peanut butter crackers sure. or whatever kind of crackers, uh, uh, individual chip bags, candy. Um, Capri Sun because yeah, we can't yeah. send in bottle drinks or whatever. So if anyone was will is willing to assist us, we're looking at trying to provide those packages for 950 women. So we would certainly appreciate anyone. And of course, you know you can contact me. Uh, my phone number is 901-591-5237. And of course, my uh, email address is pat underscore cult, C-U-L-P, at hotmail.com. Great. And we will pick it up. <laughs> we will send somebody to pick it up. We'll do whatever you need us to do. Or, you know, or you can ship it to our post office box and we could go and pick it up. Um, but we do need help you know, to create those. And we want to give them some nice bags of um, snacks for the yeah. holidays. I do. 
Well, well, we'll we'll include a link to your email address uh, in the description of the show, and in, and when we uh, when we okay. pass it out, and maybe you'll get some response, and and some folks can help help support that because it sounds uh, like you guys, despite the pandemic, are planning some some things for the end of the year, and we'd love to to try to support that. I do before we before okay. we end our interview. I want to a minute ago. I can't remember what you were talking about, but you. Um, you mentioned your mom, and I noticed a little change in your voice. And I wonder, before we close, if you can just tell us a little something about your mom. I bet there's something that you can think of that uh, folks listening to this podcast would like to hear. Of I don't know your mom. I'm just I'm taking a taking a risk here. But tell us about her. About, my mom passed away about 14 years ago, but she was in, uh, she was only able to complete school through eighth grade. But she was a fantastic. Uh, nurturer. I mean, she was, my daughter thinks that I'm that way. She was everybody's mom. Uh, anything she ate, she could um, recreate because she could taste all the spices in it. And my daughter picked that up, not me. <laughs> <laughs> she was always one to tell me, good follows good. Hmm. So whatever you do, she said, just because somebody is mean to you don't mean you should be mean. Good follows good. So you need to be careful to always try to do good by people. And years ago, my mom worked in private homes. She was a maid. And years ago, you could see maids on the street trying to catch the bus at night when she would have to babysit. And she'd stop the car and drive them home from wherever wherever they needed to go because my dad always provided for her a car, the family car. Mm -hmm. So she taught me how to give because she gave so much. She may not have been the most educated woman, but she was the most giving woman you would ever meet. Wow. And that's what I remember about my mom. Well, I I suspected as much, and it does sound like that uh, that good followed good in in this instance too. So, thank you, Miss Pat, for the work you're doing, and thank you for joining us on the permanent record. We really enjoyed hearing from you. Thank you. That was Pat Culp on the permanent record. You can find out more about Webs and Miss Pat's work at WebsMemphis.com. That's W-E-B-S Memphis.com. You can see how you can help. Special thanks to Rhodes student and Just City intern Isaac Segura for helping produce this episode. And as always, thanks to Carla and Gilworth at the OEM Network for their support of the podcasting community. This was our first visit to the new studio for socially distant recording, and it went just fine. Thanks, Gil. Check out some of the OAM Network's other shows at theoamnetwork.com. Jeff Hewlett, as always, wrote and performs She Got Gone the original theme music for the permanent record. Jeff's also been working during the quarantine. He's got a Bandcamp page with new material. Check that out. I'm Josh Spickler. This is The Permanent Record, a production of Just City. Learn more about our work at justcity.org and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at justcity901. Uh, we're still working on our COVID-19 response. You can check out some of the results of that work at justcity.org COVID-19. Make sure you're subscribing to The Permanent Record somewhere. Give us a rating, a review. Really, just click the little stars. uh, And that really helps us build our audience. In a just city, we listen and we speak up. Our thanks to you for doing both. The OAM Network is an independently run podcast and live production company in Memphis, Tennessee. TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast.